As we continue our study on the book of Ephesians, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and verses 14 through 19. And it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you'll be rooted and established in his love, and may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, as we've looked at before in the previous chapters, we've already uh, discussed and and talked about how Paul is addressing both um, Jewish converts, which is typical of Paul because he himself is a convert to Christ as well. because converting from Judaism to Christianity means that you have to refrain from your religious regiment, from a works-based ideology to a spiritual-based ideology. And, and Paul took everything from the Old Covenant teaching and revealed Christ and disciples the New Testament church into this new covenantal relationship that's embodied in the church. In the same way, with those that are involved in paganistic religions, Christianity exists because of grace, unlike paganism. Um, within paganism, you are paying homage to many gods. Uh, you're doing an obstacle course of rituals to maintain your relationship with those gods. And Paul uses their ideology of the heavenly realms to make sense of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the mystery of salvation is solved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In chapter 3, Paul addresses the third audience um, that is both present in the uh, community of Ephesus and is present throughout the uttermost parts of the world, as Jesus uh, had called us to be disciples of. And, And what's taking place in Ephesus is this real melting pot of different generations Uh, different social groups, different social classes. Uh, It's just a melting pot of people that make up the Ephesian church and the community in which they're in. And so Paul now takes the opportunity um, to um, teach those Gentiles that are uh, there. And what Paul does in chapter 3 is to take everything that he's taught in the previous two chapters and and combines it into a concise foundation to build your faith on. And, and how we can be discipled in it. See, discipleship is all about pouring the knowledge of one Christian who is mature in their faith into others who have no faith at all, or those that may have very little experience in their faith, and to those who desire to grow more in their faith. So Paul's already established that Christ is Messiah, 
and how God's plan of salvation was predestined for the church from the conception to the execution in Jesus Christ. Paul's already instructed how a person could experience salvation. As we learned last week, that salvation comes through uh, the mercy of God and the grace of God, and it's unctionized through our faith. It's here in chapter 3 that Paul really drives it home and identifies who the recipients are, which solves the mystery of salvation. And Paul does this through a prayer. He does it through the prayer for the Ephesian church and those that are in that community. And that's the text that we're using this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 says, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. See, in the temple, there was a barrier in the temple courts where the Gentiles were not permitted to enter. But that barrier was destroyed through Jesus and his resurrection. Paul is saying that though Jesus, uh, that through Jesus, we are now one body. It's through Jesus um, that we are sharers together uh, in the promise of Christ, that we are heirs together with Israel. And Paul's saying that through Christ, we are one. Through Jesus, we share the blessings of being God's people. Now, that's a critical statement for Paul to make. This statement is something that paganism fails to do. And more importantly, it does something that Judaism fails to do. And it's because of that that Paul teaches us that because of Christ, the church has the ability to overcome any obstacle, any proposition, any barrier that a person could think or imagine that could potentially hold them back from receiving the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, that, that Gentiles, which means all of us that are not born Jewish, are potential recipients of salvation. God's chosen people is not Israel. The church embodies the new Jerusalem. It's the church that has the opportunity to be part of his people. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now Paul takes it a step further in order to address not only uh, those in the Ephesus church, but makes it applicable to all peoples in every generation uh, in this moment and for generations to come. Here Paul identifies that the Father, his God, the one who he worships, who sent his sons Jesus into the world to offer salvation, is the same Father of every single family and, and the Father of every single person, both past, present, and future. That means that the plan of redemption was available in the Old Testament, it was present in the New Testament, and it's still applicable and relevant today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, pastor, why aren't, why aren't people coming and making professions of faith in droves with that kind of statement? Why aren't people getting saved in, in, in churches today? Uh, why aren't we seeing these, these massive amount of people uh, that, that are coming if, if, it, if it's really, really that, that simple and that easy? Well, it's because of the influences of the world. There's many things that will often deter people's faith from coming into fruition. I believe that Greenfield First United Methodist Church is doing some good because, like right now in 2019, we've already seen 13 people make first-time professions of faith. But we can do better. 
And Paul teaches us that how we can reach more people for Christ and, and how we can utilize our best assets if we desire to impact the lives in our own Ephesus. There are two types of Ephesuses in our life. You try saying Ephesuses uh, three times real fast and let's see how well you do. <laughs> but there, there, are, there are three or, or, or two types of Ephesus in our life. The first type of Ephesus that, that is in our life is your family. Your, your family is a type of Ephesus. Now, how many people in your family uh, do you know that don't have a relationship with Christ? Do you know one? Do you know three, five? Well, each one of us interacts with people that are in our family in and, 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 and both deep and personal ways. But oftentimes when we bring up the, the discussion of faith, sometimes we retract from that. Why is that? Why do we retract or pull back from uh, talking about our faith? A lot of times it's because they know you or, or we know them really, really well, right? Um, but it, it's a challenge when you're talking to your family about having faith in Christ. Where else do we find our Ephesus? Well, um, our Ephesus is, is basically the same thing where Jesus was talking about, you know, um, that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So where is our Jerusalem? Well, your Jerusalem and your Ephesus are really the same thing. Now, and where I live, my Ephesus or my Jerusalem is Greenfield, Ohio. How many people do you know that are in your community that don't know Jesus? You know, what is our Jerusalem? What is our Ephesus? Um, the, the best thing to do is to, to, to know where your Ephesus is or to know where your uh, Jerusalem is, is simply look out your front door. That's your Ephesus. That is your uh, Jerusalem. How many people do you know that are in your com community that don't know Jesus? Is there people that you graduated high school with? Are there people that you work with? Are there um, people that live next door to you? Are there people that your kids play baseball with or softball or basketball? Are there people in our community that don't know Jesus? Well, that, that's kind of a given, isn't it? The question is, is do you want them to know Jesus? Yeah, but, but pastor, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, how do I, how do I talk about it? You know? you know, I have found that people find it even more challenging in the day and life that which we live in um, to make a discussion. Like, how do you introduce your faith? I mean, how do you talk about what Christ has done in your life? I've said this before, and I'll say it the rest of my life. Um, if you belong to Greenfield Church or whatever church that I'm pastoring, if you'll invite people to come, I'll ask the question. I'll invite them to know Jesus. I just need you to be willing to bring them. So how do we engage our Ephesus with Jesus? Well, number one, it's by being, by being discipled, by, excuse me, by being a discipled Christ follower. I want to spend some time talking about uh, being discipled. I think a lot of times when we hear the word disciples, our minds always go back to the 12 disciples or maybe the apostles. Sometimes we might even um, think of, you know, there's a denomination out there called the Disciples of Christ, you know. Uh, oftentimes what people think is they get this idea that disciples are someone that's holier than thou someone that's perfect, um, someone that is like a saint of God. Um, but you and I are all called to be disciples. If you have crossed the line of faith, if you've made a public profession of faith in Christ, if you've been saved, 
you are a disciple of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the first part, says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with the power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, discipled people disciple people. I'll say that again. Discipled people disciple people. How important is it for you to see your faith, your family come to Christ? On a scale of one to ten, you know, one being the lowest, ten being the highest, how would you rank the importance of seeing your family members go to heaven? Well, how important is it? You know, obviously, we're all wanting ten, right? We, we, ten being the highest thing, of course, I, I would like to see my family you know, go to heaven. I, I want to see them in church. I want to see them in a relationship with God. Then if it's not a top priority, then the church that you're in will never gain momentum and it'll never uh, grow. Oh, and, and neither will your family either. It, it won't prosper. Um, our top priority in our churches is to find ways to engage lost people into ministry. See, Paul was asking God to strengthen people through the power of the Spirit in their inner being. Now, what's your inner being? Your inner being, he's talking about your soul. So how do you feed your soul? Well, you feed your soul by many different ways. How do you worship God? Many of us, if you're like me, I'm a very musical person. Used to sing in uh, and, and college some and, and, and uh, sing in, in a trio. And, and I, I really enjoy singing. Now, the type of music I like may not be the type of music that you like, but just as much it could be vice versa. But often I'm discipled and taught through music, I'm also taught through scripture. I'm also taught through other people, people pouring out and pouring into me. That's how I'm discipled. Now, you might be discipled differently. But, but it, we have to find ways to engage lost people into the ministry of the church. And, and what Paul was saying was he was asking God to strengthen us through the power of the Spirit in our soul. See, church, we, we achieve spiritual growth when we become learners of God's Word. And we are quickened to understand His Word through the power of the Holy Spirit. This past week, our evangelistic out, outreach team met with Brad Acock uh, that's in the um, uh, uh, West Ohio Conference Office over Church Development, and he, and he shared with us um, an opportunity for us to learn uh, uh, about ways to begin uh, fresh expressions in our church. And, and one of the things he said was is that discipleship isn't requiring someone to go to another Bible study. Rather, it's when people pour into the lives of others with something that they're gifted with and teaching others without it costing them anything. He said, people, um, people desire to be known, which I think that's a given. And discipleship isn't always about a Bible study. You know, discipleship is, is, is taking something that you're gifted with and pouring that into someone else and teaching them how to do something else. And when you create that opportunity that is working in ministry. Now, you may not be a pastor, you may not be a Sunday school teacher, but if you have a gift and you translate that gift and you teach somebody else how to do that gift, you pour life into them. And, and, and what that does is it, it shows the love of Christ because you're willing to do it without any cost to someone else. You're pouring life into them. That's what it means to be a disciple. People come to church primarily out of the desire for authentic relationships. 
coming to know Christ is just a byproduct of us building relationships. When we, what we learned from our MCCI self-study um, this past year, um, what we learned from it in our self-study um, uh, is that um, within a five-mile radius of our church that 72% of people are unchurched. And we also learned that set, there are only 17 people in our church that live within a mile of this building. Now, what does that say to us? You know, two years ago, we had uh, three small groups that were meeting. Two were in people's home and one was here at the church. Only one still exists, which Susan Long continues to lead. But do you know whose fault it is for allowing those other things to fail? It's not your fault. It's my fault. So beginning this fall, I've, including myself, I've asked others besides Susan to help us start life groups. Not to make me feel better, but because discipled people disciple people. How do we engage our Ephesus with Jesus? Number two, by being inclusive to all people. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, it says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Paul centralizes on the one human truth that resonates in every person. It's the desire to experience and to persist in love. One of my favorite books, and the book that I actually give out to every couple that I do premarital counseling with, uh, receives it uh, as a gift from me, is by Dr. Gary Chapman, and it's called The Five Love Languages. Buy it, trust me. Buy it and read it and put it into practice in, in your relationships, in your marriage. I guarantee your life and your marriage will be changed by it. But in this book, he talks about how every person has a love tank that needs to be filled in order to function in a healthy way in our human relationships. Here's an excerpt from it. He says, love is the most important word in the English language, and it's also the most confusing. Both secular and religious thinkers agree that love plays a central role in life. We're told that love is a many splendored thing and that love makes the world go round. Thousands of books, thousands of songs and magazines and movies are peppered with the word love. The Apostle Paul said that in the, same, in the last scene of the human drama, only three characters will remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Yet love is the most confusing word. We use it in a thousand different ways. We say, I love hot dogs. And then the next breath, I love my mother. We speak of loving activities, swimming, skiing, golfing, and fishing. We, we love objects like food, cars, and houses. We love animals. We love nature. Church, God made us with a capacity for giving and receiving emotional love. And each one of us has a love tank that demands to be filled. And God made each one of us unique, which means that what makes one of us feel loved doesn't necessarily make the other person feel loved. See, all too often, uh, churches can become exclusive and, and seek only to love people that love what they love. And churches can be guilty of only ministering to those that are like them. You, you either like what we do or you can leave. That's kind of where it's at. We kind of leave it at that. And, and really, that's really not a church. That's a glorified country club. Oh, we might not come out and say it, but when, we, when, when all of our ministry focus is on a select few things, that's what we become. 
when our ministry is focused inward, focused on the things that we like or the things that we love, and we tiptoe around because we don't want to make people mad, we start excluding. We exclude everyone else. And what Paul's teaching uh, the Ephesus church is to be inclusive of all people and reminding them that it isn't their job to clean people up or to change people's life. The church's job is to get people in the door because it's the Holy Spirit's job to work within them to make life change. It's the Holy Spirit's job to clean somebody up. It's not your job. It's our job to love people where they're at. We are called to be a missional church, to go out uh, from the church building and to engage people in environments that they are more likely to feel comfortable in. Where is our Ephesus? Where is our Jerusalem? Simply look out the front window of your home. Look out the front door of the church. That's our Ephesus. That's our Jerusalem. We have a church that loves one another. But how do we build on the legacy that Greenfield First United Methodist Church has in order to pour that same kind of love into people who would never darken the doors of our church, especially here on 4th and South? How do we pour life into people that have never experienced living the abundant life that the love of Jesus Christ offers? How do we uh, allow people who have never experienced that life before? As we move forward in establishing our second worship service, one of the challenges that our outreach team has is to locate a space where lost people interact most. And we need everyone's help to pour into the lives of those that we're going to be ministering in. We can't just throw money at it and, or money to someone and say, hey, you do that. Or we can't just give a cake tent or a special offering. No. Our mission is to make disciples, and the only way that we're going to put a dent into that 72% of unchurched people is by supporting it with prayer and with our time and our ability and our finances as our main mission to our community. People want to be loved. They want to be in authentic relationships. But the only way that we're going to pour the love of Christ in them is that we have to be willing to find ways to be inclusive of all people with the love of God demonstrated through the plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. We have the ability to pour life into people. Let's do it. Let's pray.